to Unleashing Sister Saints, a podcast focused on strengthening women's faith in Jesus Christ and helping them wrestle through the sometimes complex gender and cultural dynamics in the church. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, a global expert in women and leadership, a mom of four, and a devoted member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I love the word unleash, and I use it often. Now, in each episode, I try to include research and personal experiences and a challenge to help you feel free to bring your whole self to the Lord's work. Now, today I'm going to do something unique and a little bit outside my comfort zone. I've shared bits and pieces of my education, my career journey on this podcast over the last year, as well as some personal stories about my family and motherhood and my beliefs. But several listeners have asked that I share more. I thought it might be more interesting and less painful for me to invite my friend Carly Guyman to interview me so that I can answer questions and share more about the influences and experiences that have brought me to where I am today. Carly has been working for several months behind the scenes to produce and promote the Unleashing Sister Saints podcast, and I'm going to trade spots for the day. So with no further delay, here's Carly. Thanks, Susan. Hello to our listeners. Um, I'm excited to be here. Now, I do have a favor to ask before we jump into this conversation for our listeners, and that is that if you haven't already, will you please pause this episode and go and leave Unleashing Sister Saints a quick rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We would appreciate this so much as it helps others find Susan's podcast. It helps us get kind of feedback and reviews from listeners. So please, if you've been enjoying this podcast or just generally a fan of Susan and her work, leave a rating and review. We would appreciate that so much. So now, Susan, for our conversation, (laughs) as Susan mentioned, as I've been working on this podcast and telling friends about Unleashing Sister Saints, who didn't previously know you or know your work with the Utah Women in Leadership Project, these friends have been so impressed and they just want to know a little bit more about you and your story. So I'm excited for this opportunity to talk with you and to help others come to know you and your passion for women and leadership and faith. So it seemed right to start at the beginning. Who was Susan as a young girl, as a young woman? I went back to some of your older episodes And we know from some past episodes that, you know, you've talked about you grew up in Idaho, your father worked for the church education system, you had lots of brothers. And um, on your sixth episode called The Box, you tell us a little bit about your missionary experience and kind of this realization that you were a little different maybe from other young Latter-day Saint women. So all of that said, tell us more about that, your kind of growing up young adult years. Thank you so much. It's so good to have you talk with me back and forth on this uh, episode. So I was actually born in Salt Lake City in the Cottonwood Hospital. So I lived in Hunter until I was 11. And my dad taught seminary at Kearns High School. So a little bit of background there. I had one older brother and still have him and ended up with five younger brothers. So no sisters at all. (laughs) And when, yes, yes, yes. And when I lived in Hunter, Utah, I had, there were only a few girls that I could play with, but so many boys in our neighborhood. And so I was always athletic. We were all athletic. And so I spent so much time running, playing sports, kick the can, just competition. I grew up with all of that. And occasionally it was such a treat to have a girl that, you know, that was a few blocks away come over and really play with me from time to time. I actually was given a doll once, I remember, for Christmas, but my brothers (laughs) teased me relentlessly, so I really didn't grow up with Barbies or dolls or anything. It was sports and movement and activity. I have to say that one funny thing is my mother was always the den mother. And I loved Cub Scouts. I watched, (laughs) but my brothers all had the books and they got signed. You know, they had my mother sign off. All of their, yep, they're passing off. And my mother tells a story one time because I knew all my knots. So, because I was always watching the Cub Scouts and surrounded by it. I wanted to be in there. So she said one time she was trying to teach the knots and the boys couldn't do it. And she said, I just ran in and took the rope and did all these knots. So that was kind of fun. But (laughs) one of the things that I did is, is they did 
my mom bought me a book and I did my Cub Scouts, even though it didn't count. And she you would got sign all of your books. badges. Yes. Yes. I didn't really get them, but at least I had the book. So I'm, I'm very like check the list person. So when I was 11, we moved Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and my dad started the Institute there. And my dad really had an entrepreneurial spirit. And I love that. And he he loved starting things, creating things. And I saw that his work was always more interesting than my mom's to me. I knew that from a young age. And we lived in the mountains. We had a mountain right at the end, right next to us. Or a neighbor had a farm. We loved climbing, hiking, playing basketball in the, or baseball in the fields in our garage. My dad, with all these brothers, had a big special garage with high ceilings so we could play even during the winter. And so we sled and rode bikes, all of those things. I did want to mention that I really had kind of a rough junior high. I had a couple years it was kind of scary up there. It was an old school. There were a lot of bad things happening there. And, and there weren't Latter-day Saints to, there weren't very many of us up there. Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple of years where that's, that, those are the only time that I was so self-conscious. I was just yearning to stay safe. A little bit alone. Violence yeah. there. You couldn't even go to the bathroom without having smoke in there and drugs and all kinds of things. So I wow. remember that, but it was, we moved to a different school. Well, kind of got rid of that school. It was really old and we split in ninth grade we went to a brand new school that was closer to home and I really found my place there mm -hmm. in music and choir and and that's when I really started to lead and I also wanted to mention one other thing I was always good at music and at 13 I started having adults and teenagers older than me asking me to teach them piano and so that was a time even at 13 that I could see that that my voice mattered to people older and mm -hmm. I can teach them and see them grow. You have that skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved that. And so then when I was 15, moved to Moscow, Idaho, and was really into music and sports and played in the orchestra and some different things. And and so that is where I finished high school and two years of college and really loved being there. Again, there were two wards in the whole town, the whole, um, mm -hmm. but, but had a lot of opportunities to lead and enjoyed that both in sports and music. So that's a little bit about my background before I served my mission. I went to BYU after two years of college in Idaho, then went spent one year at BYU before I went on my mission. And I have to say, I always wanted to go on a mission uh, because my brothers all- All of your brothers quote, were planning they, it. They yeah, were going planning. and it was mm -hmm. like, I was so competitive. It was like, I wasn't going to get them get something in life that I didn't get, right? I realized mm -hmm. later that men do get a lot of different things than women, but that I planned that in the back of my mind. And I've so always wanted to go. I did have a boyfriend uh, in at BYU, and he thought I would drop out, and I I didn't think he was the one anyway. So it gave me a good <laughs> excuse to leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> to I, I wrote three young men when I was on my mission, and one by one they all got married, and I was good. I was good with that. So that's a little bit about my history. Mm -hmm. I love that because your influences are so apparent. You know, of course you, I, I mean, could have gone one of two ways, but like you said, you were trying to thrive in that environment that you grew up in with all those boys and such an active lifestyle. Yeah. And Carly, one thing you need to know about my father and my parents is that I remember when I was young, they gave my father plaque that had an arrow and it was the straight arrow among the seminary and institute teachers, he was the oh, straight wow. arrow. So um, I was raised in a home where we held standards of BYU back then. So I didn't wear jeans until after high school. I had a lot of rules. A lot of people thought mm -hmm. I was not going to be able to come out of that okay. Because I had a lot of <laughs> Pretty different orthodox. Roles. Yeah. Yeah, very much more than my brothers. But I always was blessed with this, and it's in my patriarchal blessing, with this appreciation for my parents. And this, I understood that my dad had to 
do certain things and I needed to behave because he had such an important role in in hmm. the seminary and institute system of the church. And so I always knew that. But we did family night every week. We had we did it all. Mm -hmm. had interviews with their parents. We did all of those pieces. We fasted. We did everything. Mm -hmm. um, and and that really helped me learn how to be really obedient, which I was very obedient on my mission. Mm -hmm. I was one of the straight arrow obedient mm -hmm. That people. passed on as yeah. a missionary. So yeah. tell, tell us about your mission experience. You served in Tampa, Florida. Yes. And I remember you saying you also felt pretty comfortable around all those elders. Yes, <laughs> you know? absolutely. I did. I loved my mission. I've stayed in touch with my mission president through the years. He's in his 90s in oh. a living center right now, but just saw him a couple of years ago and loved that whole experience. It was hard. It was beautiful. It was fun. Um, but man, did I get lots of opportunities to learn how to receive personal revelation. And I tell you to absolutely call on the Lord's power when I needed it. And I had absolute faith that I would get answers and did. I mean, I had enzyme stories happen where, you know, I'd pray and walk up to a door and this happened and, you know, that they would say we've been praying. And I mean, I had a lot of experiences, but I was grateful for my upbringing to teach me so much about God, so much about personal revelation. It was a good was, foundation for you. Yeah, it really was. And so I really found though, that that was the first time I really remember thinking, I'm just not like the other sisters. I'm a little odd because I was so competitive and I was the only sister till the last companion I had that played basketball with the elders on Mondays. So I was more assertive. I was more, I was super obedient. I was friends with the elders. Such an awesome experience for learning and growing. But that was the first time that I realized maybe I wasn't like the other sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and how did at the time how did that make you feel oh I was okay with it but I did realize that there were a lot of differences I mean I had friends in high school and so forth but it was striking the differences that I noticed and I was I was just so much more driven and I remember thinking from time to time I maybe I need to be different Maybe mm -hmm. I need to fit in a little bit more with the kind other Kind of change sisters. your behavior or change your, yeah. your I didn't personality do that. a little bit. Yeah, I didn't but... do that too much, but that's what I remember wrestling with that, that decision mm -hmm. to, to change and not be this authentic version of myself that I had really grown up to be. I know my dad was always trying to be, get me to be a little more feminine. <laughs> so, um, and you said, boy. yeah, you'd said in that episode too, like, be a little more humble, be a little more, you know. He was always worried about my, um, be, me being too cocky or me not being humble enough. He, because mm -hmm. I had a lot of external talents in music mm -hmm. and sports and confidence, public, speak, mm -hmm. public speaking and those kinds of things. So you had a great mission experience. You kind of were starting to realize some character traits that you had that made you, you, and you were maybe feeling confident in that came home, you got married. And I know you said it, at certain points, you've said you worked as a middle school speech and debate teacher, and then you started having children. You have four children, three boys and one girl. So we want to talk about your experiences in motherhood. But first, I wanted you to tell us about your husband, Greg, and the type of partnership that you and Greg have developed over the years. Well, thank you for that question. So first of all, when I was in Moscow, Idaho, and I was at going to the University of Idaho, one of the institute classes or... I can't remember, maybe it was a Sunday school lesson. We were bored a little bit. And so some of us made a list of the ideal husband characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I kept that. I, I need to look for that again. <laughs> and, and it had things like, his father's a take president. He doesn't wear glasses. <laughs> he has straight teeth. Does he, he wear has, glasses? I mean, it was kind of, you know, because I was thinking about my kids. I want him to have really good eyes. Or he's a musician. All of these things that aligned with me. And he was... Um, he was very different than my list. Mm -hmm. So his father's not a member of the church. Um, he it, had glasses. Probably not a state president ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was interesting that you marry who God needs, wants you to marry, and then you see the reasons for it later on. And so he was very, he always has been 
very different than I thought I would marry, as I mentioned, very strong in terms of self-confidence. And he, and I've said this in front of him and he always smiles, he thinks very highly of himself. So I want you to think about that. And that has been really important actually, because he was never intimidated by my strength. He supported me in getting more education. He was okay. He always said, I would love to have you earn more than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, why is that a he, problem? <laughs> he was so proud of my accomplishments, my doctorate degree. He was just never intimidated. And that can be cockiness in some ways. Some people would think about that. It's led to a really strong partnership. He did just two or three years ago finish a PhD. That was always a goal of his. Mm -hmm. um, but he, you know, and I always did the more traditional. I think he would have been outside that box a little bit more okay with that. He, even though his mother mainly stayed home, he, she also became a elementary school teacher. But I had young men, honestly, during my years at BYU, that I would play ping pong, and I'm a really good foosball and ping pong player. <laughs> My dad was seminaries and institutes, so I spent lots of time yes, ping pong and time. foosball. Oh, that's awesome. But I had probably two or three young men get so mad when I beat them in ping pong, and two of them smashed paddles, ping pong paddles, and broke them. And one on the racquetball, I was on the BYU racquetball team. And one just smashed a, a racquetball. And my husband, when I beat him for the first time, he just smiled and laughed. He thought yeah. that was the coolest thing. <laughs> and so that's, he just, I mean, we we have strong personalities, both of us. And so I am so glad that I understood the doctrine and the covenants take when you're sealed together in the temple, because it's for eternity, because you can hit heads you know, our parenting was different. There's been frustrations, but you push yourself to spend that time to continue to love. And we have done that through the years. And he's awesome. And anytime I want to do anything, let's go to, to Europe. Let's do this or that. He's like, okay, I'm there. Yeah. Everything, every time. So there's not really, no, I don't feel like hiking today. He's just like, yep, sure. I'm there. He has this, even though his siblings and his dad were not active or members. He had his testimony come really when he was a student at BYU and did serve a mission. And he is rock solid in the gospel. He understands his doctrine. He gets it. He and I go back and forth on that, uh, bantering sometimes on a few things. But that is, you know, my patriarchal blessing said that I would choose, not find, I would choose someone that would be loyal and committed throughout my life. And this is the man I have married. Yeah, he sounds wonderful. And what I hear you describing is just really self-assured and confident with himself and able to be super supportive of exactly who you are yes. and of your strengths, which I think is such a wonderful thing. Yes. And doesn't those other little things maybe don't don't matter that much, like yeah, the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the glasses or leaving crumbs in the kitchen sink or this mm -hmm. or that. We're you human, know, right? We're all you, human. <laughs> but you have to choose, you know, to continue to value the person that, that God has really confirmed to you is the partner that you have in life. Mm -hmm. I love that. So jumping now, Susan, from you know, you married Greg. Did you meet at BYU then? Is that? Yes, we have that okay. story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you have your four children. And I have appreciated, you have talked pretty openly, just kind of describing suffering a little bit yeah. in young motherhood, not feeling like you were experiencing the joy you ought to have been experiencing maybe as you chose to stay home with young children. You didn't really enjoy a lot of the typical homemaking activities um, you've talked about having a really difficult oldest child. Talk us through these years and tell us as you reflect back on them now, just kind of what you would share for women. I tell you, I was thinking that all of a sudden through this busy life and doing all of these things and leading, I, I directed our high school choir a lot and did all of these leadership things. I was just thinking magically when I had that first child and stayed home that everything would just come together. And I tell you, it was rough for me. I, it was like, I used to fight with my husband a lot. I'm like, you're, we're told and commanded that we 
can do anything in college, any career, this or that. And then we're told, take everything that you have and you should be happy doing one type of career. And so I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really struggled with that through the years, but I really put myself in a box more because of the way I was raised and socialized that I really needed to do certain things and really be more isolated in the home. And we realized pretty early on, I needed to to be doing other things too, Mm part-time. So I had to shift into that part-time. I did all of those homemaking activities. I did all of those. They didn't bring a lot of joy to me. And I struggled with my oldest particularly, but I loved a lot of things about you know, I tried to emphasize the things that I loved and we yes, loved focus sports. on those things. I, mm-hmm. We loved sports. So I was in the car driving. I loved watching sports. I loved coaching. I loved those things. And so some of my best memories were outside of the house doing some of those things with my children. With your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were so poor for uh, a number of early years. So I bottled and canned jam and apples and worked with spices and tried to make soups and did all of that. And when I was Relief Society president with four young children, um, actually three young children, and then I was pregnant the whole time and on bed rest with the fourth, but it was great. But I learned how to do crock pot meals and took a lot of meals to people and did those more traditional things. But I was more happy when I had lots of things to do. So when I was really study president, I was much more happy because mm-hmm. I could think about people. And then I was on bed rest for six months with my last child and still oh really society president. So, <laughs> and that's the only thing that kept me sane. I couldn't go to church. I went twice and was ended kind up kind of managing things behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And people would come over to me. They would just come and sit on my couch because I was in a recliner flat in the living room. So I did learn a lot, a lot of what I understand today were lessons I learned from raising my kids and trying to do the best I could and trying to like make sure everybody played the piano and I <laughs> taught uh, through two, my first two and then gave that to other people. So uh, we lived in a, a number of different places, but what I realized with two young kids is I really went into some de- situational depression for a couple of years. But as soon as we moved to Portland, Oregon from Utah, I was able to get back into college for my master's degree. I mean, the day after I started, my husband just had tears. He said, you're back, you're back. Yeah, and I absolutely so just, I was like, yes, my head is working again. I have I love this. I would read. I would, it just gave me that jolt. And then I knew, even though I still struggled with things, then I knew that I had to not just want do one or the other, that I needed to combine. I needed to do the and, not the or, you know, mm-hmm. either or kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was all good. I always liked to earn a little money. I paid for all my education myself. I taught a lot of piano lessons. Yeah. <laughs> I got more into professional work. And I love my children. I learned a lot from them, but it wasn't the most natural thing, Carly, for mm-hmm. me to be a caregiver. I'm just not as much a caregiver as some, but I'll push back on that a little bit because my mom told me I, that I was so good with all my brothers. She said when she was three, she kept finding me in the crib, rocking my little brothers who were baby. Aww, and so <laughs> even though some of us are more masculine or more athletic, think we're all blessed as women to have more maternal instincts. And uh, I think there are some men that do, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, that was me. I did care for my siblings and help with that. So, mm-hmm. but I still am not as caregiving. I want to be out there doing things. And so honestly, I spent a lot of years beating myself up for not being um, the way you thought you the, should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think now that was a waste of time because I needed to embrace the natural man or woman. You know, we need to fend that off, right? In terms of some things, but then there's these other things that are are unique with how God made us that drive to that towards justice and fairness and opportunity for all. I that was a waste of time for me to try and 
put that fire out. I don't know the best way yes, to say that. Yes, I actually, um, I love the visual of that. <laughs> yeah, I needed to embrace that. And I did, but I fought it along the way more than I probably should. But mm -hmm. I learned a lot from doing the hard things, Carly. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have changed that because I think some of the best lessons and the way that I've developed through the years has come from really wrestling in some of the hard things in life. So I still believe that was the right choice to stay at mm -hmm. home for many years, full-time with kids and, mm -hmm. and just kind of work on the sides with part-time and go and teach once a week or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I think once you kind of gave yourself permission to really be authentic to who you were, you know, and the things that you love to do instead of looking around and like, okay, what are all the other moms doing? you know, what do I have to do because I have, I'm a mom of these four kids, you know, instead you said, okay, what do I actually really like to do? Yeah. Let's focus on those things, pursuing your other kind of passions and interests as you were able. And I think obviously there are so, so many ways to do that. Right. And every woman's path is a little bit different, but I yeah. think the nugget I take from you is be okay with who you are and what you naturally are drawn to and what you naturally love. And you know, we all have different energy levels and interests. And I just think that that's important. So, and I, so. I wanted to pop in one more thing, because I did even with my more traditional upbringing, I had a patriarchal blessing. And I've talked about this on some episodes that actually gave me permission. And so gave me permission to continue my education. It said I would find great joy in advancing my education my scholastic it called it scholastic <laughs> not scholarly but that i would and that i would become a speaker a knowledgeable person in my future years and some different things so i was so grateful to wow. my heavenly father that with such a traditional and trying to keep myself in that box i still had these outs that it mm -hmm. was okay and god needed me to get my bachelor's, my master's, my doctorate. Mm -hmm. I saw my dad wrestle through his doctorate through all those years. And so I knew that path mm -hmm. and I just knew that I would. And so there are other things in my blessing that helped me understand that I needed to use my voice and that I would do, there's one term in there that I still don't fully understand that I will do great humanitarian feats. And so I knew that I am so grateful I had that. Some people don't need that, but yeah. I needed that to be able to envision a future that only God could see for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. So tell us, so you've kind of given us glimpses, you pursued a master's and doctorate degree while your kids were still growing up. So tell us, yeah. Tell us how that worked. How did you decide <laughs> what, how did you decide what to study? How did you and your husband Greg balance, you know, your studies with your part-time work, with his work, with family life? I just think this is so helpful for so many women. How did you do it? Tell us how you did it. Well, thank you for that question. So I actually went, I had the two kids, then my husband finished his second master's degree, and then we were finally off. And we moved to Portland, Oregon, and immediately I went back to school. When we had a visit there, he dropped me off at Portland State University while he was doing some things, and I went around, and I had... I counseled so many people. I said, open your mind, just go through the catalogs. Back then it was a catalog, not the internet, right? And just see what connected with your life experience. And there were a number of things that connected with me. And one was exercise physiology and wellness. And my one of my minors was physical education. I taught PE just a little bit, but most, mm -hmm. of, most mm -hmm. of it was speech and debate. And so I, I coached too when I was younger. And so that connected with me. And then the same thing happened for my doctorate. I just opened my mind, looked for anything that connected. Then I went back into the courses and then tracked what felt good, what felt interesting, what made my head, heart, and hands want to get engaged. Excited. In those. Yeah. yeah. And then with my master's, I really went with the one that was most flexible. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was a couple afternoons. If I went a couple afternoons and traded babysitting for piano lessons, I could mm -hmm. do it. And then a couple summers, my mother-in-law came out for two weeks and they had an intense four-week period and I could get done in a couple of years. And so 
I really went with what was convenient and best for my family. I did the same. Then I had a couple more kids, another five years, um, moved to Minnesota, well, moved to Southern California for five years. That's where I was a release study president and did a lot of different things and then moved to Minnesota mm-hmm. and w- then worked for that first year to take my GRE and a few things like that to get ready and then started at the University of Minnesota. And we went there because of him, but mm-hmm. I did the same thing, like which program was on my side of the Twin Cities. <laughs> so uh-huh. instead of having to go clear over to Minneapolis, like, and which program was the most flexible. I knew I couldn't do the full-time programs during the day. I just was not going to do that with my kids. I needed to do with my kids, be there, you know, do activities with my kids. And so I joined an evening program and it was the closest to me. So it's interesting. Some people would push back on that strategy, but so I had probably four degrees that I thought, oh, I could do this at the University of Minnesota that would be interesting to me, but went with the most flexible, closest program. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I did it. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, and, and was able to, sometimes during the day, I would take in chapters of my dissertation and take a kid or two on my hip, um, getting in, in there. Um, People thought I was crazy a little bit to to go back (laughs) with four little kids, but I will tell you, as I've gotten older and had the experiences that I've had, the timing was perfect for me, for my family, and for God. Because as soon as we then moved back to Salt or Utah, mm-hmm. I was able to, within the first year, get a tenure track position wow. and just moved along to be able to do what I do today. And so even though it was hard, what I've realized is you just do hard things. We're good at that as women. And you do think you don't keep waiting, which I did sometimes for other things. You wait until everything is perfect, till you your kids tar- are a certain age, till everybody's in school, till this or that. Um, but I, you'll laugh at this, Carly. I did have a goal that I was going to finish bearing children at 34. And I did that. And then I would have my doctorate by 40. And I did that. Right. Right. Amazing goals. <laughs> So, so um, it, it, you know, I'm very goal oriented. So that worked. Gave you something to work for. Well, and I wish our list, I wish the listeners could see just the joy. Like this was something that was exciting for you and that brought you a lot of meaning and joy. And as I was preparing for this interview, I was just thinking, I know that it is not your intention with this podcast or with your work more broadly to convince that every woman to take the path that you did, that she needs to work full-time or that she needs to pursue a doctorate degree. But your message, and I hear this over and over again, is that women should feel free to identify their unique strengths and talents and interests and passions and develop and utilize them to further the Lord's work on the earth. And I've just come to see that this podcast is for all women, women who are not married, women who don't have children, women who do have children and have chosen to stay home full-time or, or it, with varying you know, arrangements or setups, or women that just don't have the same interests or energy or abilities as you or some of the, you know, the guests that maybe we have on the show. So in talking about the podcast, can you describe why you hope the podcast is useful for all women and why it's so important as women that we honor and you know, just accept each other's differences? I love that question too. That's a hard and a big question, but Mm -hmm. it is so important. I have to tell you uh, my daughter one time in high school and and this may be sound mean to, but she said to me, you know, kids say things. (laughs) They say all sorts of things. (laughs) And I have a dear, dear friend who lived right behind us, Shauna Peterson, I'll say her name, who I love. And it was my daughter's second mother and my youngest son's second mother. She was just awesome. And my daughter came to me one time and she said, I don't want to be like you when I grow up. I want to be like Shauna. And I'm like, I didn't even flinch. I said, I hope that you are like Shauna because it's really hard to be me. It's really (laughs) hard. And I do not want people to go through some of the things that I have, but you know, I don't wish that on anybody actually. Um, Parts of my life sound so exciting, but it's a lot of hard work and I'm a workaholic in a lot of ways. I feel this passion to move forward, but I really, 
I have people from time to time saying that I'm all about, because I'm in a school of business, women working full time, or let's empower women and have them all go to work. Yes, we do research on that. Yes, we do. Uh, that's part of my paid work. And a lot of the work I do is not unpaid. However, I really believe that women need to make their choices. And we as women need to not judge each other. Like we do judge each other so harshly. But mm-hmm. I love the choices of dear friends of mine who have stayed at home full time. And some of them, their kids are out of the house and they're still doing that. They're still serving. They're working in the temple. They're doing so many things. I just believe we should use our talents and the what we've been blessed with from God, uh, from our heavenly parents in the best ways we can. And every woman is looking for calling and purpose. And whatever that looks like to you, whether that's paid work, unpaid, whether that's volunteering in certain ways, whether that's running for Congress, whether that's, I mean, anything. Let's not judge and let's support and live. The thing I really push, however, is that we lean into our gifts and strengths, that we lean in no matter what our background is. I do have to say, I do encourage all women in any country to take any opportunity they can to continue their education. And some have more opportunities than others. But that formal education, going back, moving, can really help us reach the potential that we have been born to reach, but also that be able to be in better service to our heavenly parents moving forward. So I, if anybody that's listening has ever felt judged from me that you're not doing enough or whatever, enough is what you feel is enough and what your heavenly father is telling you. And that looks different than I do these massive kinds of projects for the state of Utah and global things. But I value people that take that one-on-one time and just listen to people and build our young women and young men and have such good relationships in so many ways. We all have callings Mm -hmm. and it's not my role to be judging what God is telling you. I mean, that's not my place. And that's, I don't get inspiration for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, occasionally, you know, if I'm in a certain calling, of course. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that we are really blessed to live in a time where that is the message that is being reinforced is to seek your own personal guidance and inspiration of what your path is based on your, you know, interests and abilities and opportunities. So I love that. Thank you, Susan. So I, this was one thing that I wanted to learn more about. You've mentioned, you know, in a couple of your podcast episodes that you've researched the lifetime development of prominent women leaders. So personally interviewing many women, university presidents, U.S. governors, and international leaders, which just sounded so exciting to me. That must have been such a fascinating project. Um, Will you tell us about some of the most impactful things you learned from this process talking to these women? What were some of your favorite interviews? Oh, I love that. You know, I did some of that for probably eight to 10 years. I did a lot of my first interviews within maybe three years and then published a couple of books, one on university presidents. I interviewed uh, many university presidents who were women across the country, and then I interviewed 10 of the women governors. And those two sets of interviews I really did for two or three years and then published my books. And I learned so much. In fact, I just did a recent podcast on motherhood, and that research came out of these interviews. And I really interviewed them on their lifetime journey of developing leadership from their birth, their earliest memories. And I learned so much about my own life from those. When you ask about my favorite interview, I really do, since I was living in Utah at the time, I had some, a couple of visits with Olene Walker, who Mm -hmm. many people in Utah would know because she was governor for a time, lieutenant governor for many years, really the top woman leader in politics in the state of Utah. And it was so fun. She has eight kids. Um, She had eight kids. um, Amazing. 
Yeah. And she still did all of these things and was a great mom and did it differently and and was a strong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so she really helped me um, think outside the box. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed, I would say, every single one of the interviews. And I've interviewed women leaders now from China and Eastern Europe and different places. I did that for many, many years. And everyone taught me something in terms of motherhood, in terms of what things contributed to their finding their voices, their finding their strengths and and becoming strong leaders that they became. So I, I don't think I don't think I have you know, other than the motherhood, I mean, I have so much research that comes out, but I don't have one thing to tell you other than the mm-hmm. motherhood piece. But each thing, every interview taught me something profound. And so I did just interview. I transcribed everything myself. I listened, I transcribed, and then I wrestled Really internalized with all of this. Yeah. And that that's kind of a process not just to talk to people, but take notes, think about it, wrestle with it, journal, all of those things. So I really learned profound lessons from Mm -hmm. all of those. And I loved it. And still I do interview from time to time, not as much for research now, uh, women leaders and ask them very specific questions to see, you know, how they became leaders and how they feel that purpose and call. And these are people that are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ right. of Latter-day Saints. But All sorts every of backgrounds. single one felt purpose, felt this call, whether they were religious or not, to lean in. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we will link to this episode that you referred to about motherhood. And the the research is that motherhood, when these women had opportunities to bear and raise children, was extremely influential in their development as leaders, which was just so, it was, it's, I love that episode. It was awesome to hear that. Mm -hmm. Very much. So all of these experiences, Susan, led you to where you are now, which um, you are the founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project and the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Um, Can you tell us how the Women Leadership Project first began and how you felt guided by the spirit to pursue this effort over the years and through ups and downs and just to where you are now. Absolutely. So in 2002, I started back working full-time. My youngest was six at the time and then became a professor and taught and started doing research and all of those things. Well, in 2009, I was asked by the commissioner of higher education and the governor's cabinet to do some research on why more women were not going to and graduating from college in the state of Utah. So I had been doing lots of global work in Europe and some different countries up to that. And I still wanted to do that, but I leaned into this uh, project and I asked the commissioner of higher education, do you want me to just collect data or do you want me to start moving change? In the state. He's like, whatever you feel, Susan, he knows I was religious. So whatever God, uh, you know, is telling you to do, let's have you do that. And so I did start the Utah Women in Leadership Project about 14 years ago. And it was supposed to be a one-year project really focused on understanding the experiences educational experiences, I should say, of women in Utah and why we were behind the national average on women getting bachelor's degrees and then master's degrees. And I knew it was a bigger project than I had bit off. So I said two years and we were able to get things published and so forth. But we had started momentum. We had started this movement um, and I pulled in other people to help. Connections. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The connections started working on public policy, started down that path, and then through the years tried to like close the loop on it and end it. And it kept coming back. And finally, <laughs> uh, one of the my dear friends, Michelle Taylor, who was the vice president at UVU, one day she just said, Susan, it's your calling. Just stay it's with not it. Over. This is <laughs> what. And when I was almost going to drop a couple times, she would find funding to help me because I I didn't have a lot of help back then. And so that's how I got started. And then I've continued to do that uh, at the people requesting data, 
you know, and it's become quite a big movement in the state of Utah. It has. And even recently, I have another episode on a bolder way forward. I encourage people to listen to that. Uh, That's where we're going. And that was really some strong revelation given to me in October, November of 2022. And so it... I tell you, it's really interesting because part of the work I do is paid. About 40 hours of it is paid, (laughs) but I have a nine-month contract. So all summer it wasn't paid, but I worked all summer. You were Um, working. But it is sometimes people think maybe if I, you know, stop, am not working this job that I wouldn't be doing this other stuff. Oh my gosh, this is a calling Mm -hmm. for me. And I'm blessed to have my paid work and my and God's work and my community work all, I should say, blessed or cur- and cursed sometimes <laughs> yeah. to have all Depending that on the day. Wrapped, yeah, yeah. wrapped up into one. And and so I still do some global work and travel and, and often speak for state fire sites and so forth when I'm in different countries, if I've connected with people and let them know I'm coming. But I feel that the work I do with the Utah Women and Leadership Project is very much a calling. And that work really focuses on strengthening the impact of Utah girls and women. And so my background and my scholarly work is women's leadership. Yet we do research on everything related to girls and women, including domestic violence, including sexual assault, including entrepreneurship, including going to college and graduating, including some things related to family and home. So all over the map, but they all relate in one way or another to a woman's confidence, to her finding her voice, to her running for office in some, in some, <laughs> you know, all of that is all related. So when people push me back from time to time and say, what are you doing research in all these areas for? Your area is women's leadership. I say it's all, all connected. connected. It's linked. And it's all important. If you are not feeling safe as a woman, you're not going to reach your potential in terms of learning and being educated and using your voice and becoming a leader. All of those are connected. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the work that you do. And if you visit, we'll link to to the Utah Women in Leadership website and to some resources there. And I just want to say that, you know, I know we have people listening from outside of Utah. And they could say, ah, that doesn't relate to me. But even just last week, I was reviewing some research that your project had done on single mothers. And, you know, just such a good reminder of the challenges that single mothers face and how we can support them and better help them in their day-to-day needs and public policy. And all of that goes beyond the borders of Utah, you know, and can be helpful for, for women everywhere. I do have uh, my last scholarly book coming out in January 2024. Um, it's a scholarly book called Your Last, Susan. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> I it's it's I I just don't have space to do that um, anymore. But it is a global and my first edition of that book is utilized all over the world for graduate classes and so forth. But this is the second edition of the handbook of research on women or on let me say that again. It's the title is a handbook of research on gender and leadership. And so understanding the background of all of the related research and so forth can really help anybody in any country move that forward. And we use those research, you know, studies and information for what we're doing in the Utah Women and Leadership Project. And also did want to also mention that in 2021, I wrote a book, my first church book, A Future Only God Can See for You, a guide for teen and young adult women on how to prepare to lead. And so I felt very inspired to write that book based on research and not just fluff, I call it, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. just some deep stuff. Hopefully it's not too, I don't think it's too heavy for most people. No, it's a little bit of a guide, right? For women to kind of think about and work through, okay, what do I care about? What, What strengths have I been given? So I love that. And we'll link to that as well. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the background of that. So Susan, I did want to give you the opportunity to tell us about what family life looks like for you now. I know that your daughter is about to have twins. That's very exciting. So how are, tell us about that. Tell us about grandkids. How are you embracing this busy time of life? 
what do younger women have to look forward to? You know, I do like this grandmother hood. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's fun. I don't have a million grandkids at my age, but I've got the four kids and all my kids have gone in different paths. It's very interesting. And it's honestly, it's been challenging even with adult kids in Sometimes they could be very judgmental of their mother. Let me just, um, mm-hmm. I didn't find, you know, was, wasn't in the box. I didn't cook enough or I didn't do this, but I have resolved some of these and things within myself and just kind of let them all go. So we have good relationships with all of our kids and we love that. In fact, yesterday I was just with um, my youngest at downtown at a music festival to support um, a music festival around Minding the Gap. And and then I went to Thanksgiving Point in terms in Utah in terms of a carnival and met my two other kids, including my daughter, who's giving birth in a couple of weeks to twins. And so I do have two grandkids at the moment, a seven-year-old grandson, Parks, and Hadley, who's four. And my daughter will give birth in a couple of weeks, like I said, to James and Savannah. We already and know then, their names. Uh, I love that. <laughs> and then my second son is uh, engaged to remarry. And he already has a seven-year-old son. But his fiance has two children, a 10-year-old and a four-year-old. And so by end of year, I should have six grandkids. Yes, that's quite an increase. (laughs) And so, yeah, my husband and I love, though, being empty nesters. We've loved that for many years. We love the quiet, but we love the... I love a house that stays clean. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) um, And my husband and I assemble. We don't cook. We assemble food from Costco, <laughs> from Smith's. And so we do things differently. And so I do love this. We live in a beautiful place in Bountiful, and I love this phase of life. But I love being having all my kids in Utah and are able to engage with all of them. The one kid I didn't spend time with yesterday will be with him and his fiance uh, next weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I love this stage. My body doesn't feel as good. I'm in my 60s. I have little things that happen here and there tweaking, you know, uh, my ankle or whatever, when you get in your 60s, things happen, but I still love this phase and I wouldn't, I'm not one of these people that say, hey, I wish I would have done all these things differently. I really give grace to myself Mm -hmm. that I really tried the best I could to do all of the things that God wanted me to and that I'm human and I make mistakes, but I really give myself grace a lot. I just say, even if I botch up on something, I'm like, I'll do better tomorrow. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go. I let things go really well these days. Um, and I, I don't think that was always the case. As I read back on my journals, I journaled a lot through the years. Mm-hmm. I really um, have had tears for my younger self and how hard oh, I was on myself. Yeah. I'm like, give her a break. I say to myself, (laughs) (laughs) I love this mentality. I love the way you feel looking back on your younger self. And I love the really healthy perspective you have now on I'm human. I'm doing my very best. And I think it's, it's really great for, I think, young mothers to hear about, you've got great things to look forward to, like a house that stays clean. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. So Susan, to wrap up, I thought it would be really important for us to talk about your faith as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I think a lot of women are struggling right now to juggle their beliefs, you know, about equality for women, about equality generally, and their testimonies of the church. And then I think on the other side, you have other women struggling to understand why some women are struggling with these issues. And that that can be kind of a rift and a challenge for the church So how do you continue to examine women's experiences in Utah, a place so impacted by the church's doctrine and culture, and also balance your really deep faith and love for the church and for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thank you for that question. So how do I do that? It is, I think my upbringing, I've described my upbringing, it was so foundational to who I am today, that deep commitment to my Savior that deep commitment to my heavenly parents, that deep commitment to remain obedient because of those blessings. 
that are and will continue to come. And no matter what I've gone through, I have never doubted that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's church on earth. I have never doubted that because my parents emphasized personal revelation from a young age. I learned that growing up. I learned that on my mission. I continue, you know, all through the years, not that I've been perfect, you know, and I haven't fought with God for many things in many years, but I have never doubted that. And I continue to go to church every week and seek for personal revelation. And that is the key. The rock, being on the rock, you know, is no matter what you do, how you challenge things, what you're looking at, questions that you ask and want answers to, if they are from a place of faith, then that you'll get your answers and you can stay strong at the same time. What I tell myself from time to time is that this church is true. And it is also not quite the church that God needs it to be um, in terms of equality. And we have to be patient with some things. And I'm not the most patient person. <laughs> um, but you can have that rock of a testimony and then let some things kind of settle or that you don't have the exact answers to, but have a belief that everything will be answered at some time and that if you really dig into the quotes of our modern prophets, that God needs us as women more than he ever has before. I get a little frustrated with two women, only two women speaking in the last conference. Mm -hmm. And I say to myself, there's still a lot of work to do with the brethren, with men in the church, with women in the church, for us to really understand what that identity piece is is we're missing when we don't have more women but there's faith that the brethren are receiving revelation they need to be we need to still push though because you don't ask questions sometimes and that's when revelation comes when we mm -hmm. ask questions mm -hmm. and so there's work to be done but i value my relationship with my savior more than anything else and i know that god needs me to stay firm in the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and challenge at the same time in faithful ways. But we need more women to stay in the church. There's a call. I'm making a call now for women to stay mm -hmm. and believe and not just believe in everything without questioning. But if you really seek for personal revelation, you will get that confirmation that you need to stay, but you need to also prepare yourself for a future only God can see for you. And so that balance back and forth, some people can't do that, at least now. But I say we need more women who can challenge in these kinds of ways and to ask hard questions who are secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ on that foundation. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that answers everything you're asking, but no, that's where I I'm love at. That. I love that, Susan. And what I was thinking about when you were talking is that, you know, some of us did grow up with, you know, that really strong foundation built in faith in Jesus Christ, you know, not just in like the culture of the church, yeah. but that isn't what every woman's experience is. And so I think yours is a good reminder to focus on what are those foundational beliefs and how is my foundation? You know, am I spending a lot of time like out far in the branches or am I really just looking at the foundation of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes. And if that's not very strong, maybe work on strengthening that, you know? And understanding how to, we continue, I continue to work on how to receive that revelation in different ways and how it mm -hmm. feels. And, and so, but calling on the heavens to give you revelation is something that we should all do and then figuring out how do we hear that maybe we're expecting one thing maybe it comes in a different way sometimes it comes in one way really a blunt way of kind of boom but you know sometimes it's so subtle but knowing how to and then trusting yourself that that is pure revelation and moving is um, the key I think for all of us 
to mm -hmm. stay firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Susan, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I've loved this. I've loved getting to know you better. I hope that those listening have enjoyed and have learned from you about all of these different parts of your life and these different experiences. And so Susan has invited me since I've been here interviewing her <laughs> to give our challenge this week. And I feel like a really great challenge for us this week could be to examine the ways that we can lean in a little bit more in our lives. And I think sometimes that can be like a charged phrase for women, you know, to lean in. But what I hear when you, when you say that, when you describe that is if we're not really engaging and leaning in, we might be leaning back because we're hesitant or we're nervous or we're not sure what the next step should be. And so we don't take the next step. I think about what leaning in means as far as our faith our engagement with our testimonies. And so I would just encourage our listeners, and this is like for myself too, to think about how can we better in, lean in and engage with life, examine our talents and our strengths and our abilities and how we can take steps forward to strengthen and develop them. So that's the challenge for this week. <laughs> Carly, thank you so much. And I, you have been an answer to my prayers when you reached out maybe three, four months ago and said, hey, I'd like to help you with this podcast. I was on the verge of like, do I stay? Do I keep it going? You know, do I leave, you know, stop it? But I appreciate you. You've, you are absolutely amazing. Thank you for all your work. Thank to you. listeners. Please follow Unleashing Sister Saints on Facebook and Instagram for more information and to stay up to date. And if you like a particular episode or show in general, please share it with others and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unleashing Sister Saints. This is Dr. Susan Madsen, and I'm devoted to unleashing the positive impact of Sister Saints on the world.